X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Emily Gilliland from Portland, Oregon, and it's Friday, June 4th. Today, back in the day, on June 4th, 1989, Tiananmen Square massacre occurred. Known as the June 4th incident in China, it was the culmination of over a month of student-led protests against the hardline communist government. The demonstrations started in April with the death of former pro-reform communist General Secretary Hu Yeobang. They ended with the government declaring martial law and sending in tanks to literally crush the dissidents. The official death toll of the event is still disputed, with estimates ranging from 300 to several thousands. The protest also gave us the iconic imagery of Tank Man. The video shows a person with two shopping bags standing in front of a line of tanks, blocking its movements as they attempted to maneuver around him. The identity of Tank Man is unknown to this day. And today, back in the day on June 4, 1990, Dr. Jack Kevorkian performed the first of his assisted suicides. Janet Atkins, a 54-year-old Portland woman with Alzheimer's, met Kevorkian at a secluded park on the outskirts of Detroit. Kevorkian, who came to be known as Dr. Death, performed the procedure in the back of his van. He hooked her up to his assisted suicide machine and allowed her to flip the switch that gave her the lethal drug cocktail would go on to help over 130 more people to die before getting convicted of second-degree murder. He served eight years of a 10- to 25-year sentence before being released on the condition he would not assist in a suicide or promote or talk about the procedure. Kevorkian died in 2011. Physician-assisted suicide is now legal in several states, including Oregon. It was the first to legalize it by passing the Death with Dignity Act in 1994. Today, we'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Alex Zielinski, news editor of the Portland Mercury. X-Ray. First up, it's time for today's quick six local rundown. A professor has sued Pacific University for $1.3 million after he said he was illegally fired. Richard Paxton, a professor of education, was put on paid administrative leave in October after multiple students filed complaints against him. Over 10 students claimed Paxton made inappropriate comments related to gender, gender identity, race, and other protected characteristics in the fall of 2020. In one specific example, Paxton was said to have used an unnecessary and transphobic anecdote as part of his teaching. The students also said Paxton claimed his status as a tenured professor meant that he would be immune to scrutiny. In October of 2020, however, Pacific launched an official investigation into Paxton's behavior, but said that he was refusing to cooperate with them. The university has since faced considerable criticism from several organizations for investigating Paxton, including the National Association of Scholars, which referred to the investigation as a product of, quote, woke culture, where the university acceded to the demands of the mob. Pacific is expected to conclude their investigation of Paxton soon. And now, your daily dose of data. On Thursday, 
20,401 vaccine doses were added to the state immunization registry. To date, 2,255,274 Oregonians have received at least one dose. And the OHA also reported that the majority of vaccinated residents have received their doses from Pfizer. A woman named Jennifer Kuhn is helping people experiencing houselessness get vaccinated. According to the OHA, Kuhn has helped more than 25 residents at the Blanchet House of Hospitality register for vaccines. Over the years, Kuhn has helped countless shelter residents at the Blanchet House find food and clothing. Now Kuhn is focusing her efforts on encouraging residents to get vaccinated. In one case, Kuhn drove a shelter resident to a vaccination site because she said he was concerned about going by himself. According to Kuhn, quote, I was with him the whole time. He was so grateful that he had tears in his eyes. He said, we are now bonded forever. Portland City Commissioner has announced plans to build six villages for people experiencing houselessness. On Wednesday, Portland City Commissioner Dan Ryan said he set aside $20 million in federal COVID relief funds to build six outdoor sites for people experiencing housing insecurity. The sites would offer a variety of services, including hygiene stations, laundry, showers, and washing stations, portable toilets, and food. Ryan also said that the Multnomah County Joint Office of Homeless Services would oversee the villages and form relationships with the people there to ensure their safety. Ryan came up with the idea for the villages after seeing how other Oregon cities found success in creating public car parks. Car parks are specific areas where people living in their cars or RVs can stay. The specific area provides people who are experiencing houselessness with a sense of community and also discourages police sweeps by setting aside land specifically for people to camp on. Although Ryan and his team are still finalizing details, he hopes to have the sites completely finished by the end of the year. The House Conduct Committee has found that Representative Brad Witt violated sexual harassment rules. Earlier this year, Representative Vicki Breeze Iverson alleged that Witt sexually harassed her through text messages. According to Breeze Iverson, she reached out to Witt on April 12th to ask for his support on a bill. But, but Witt shifted the conversation to dinner and a beer before ultimately texting her, quote, I've made two offerings. If you want to meet, find something better than dinner or beer. The following day, Breeze Iverson filed a claim that Witt offered her a quid pro quo arrangement. But on Wednesday, the House Conduct Committee denied this part of her claim. The committee did agree that Witt had violated sexual harassment rules, however. The investigation has deeply divided lawmakers, and many Republicans believe that Witt was shielded from punishment because he is a Democrat. Some Republicans also accused the attorney who handled the investigation of ignoring their concerns, such as when Republican Representative Shelley Beauchart Davis said that it was common knowledge amongst the female lawmakers not to be left alone with wit. Oregon is set to see an unseasonably hot summer, and officials are concerned about wildfires. Already, parts of southern Oregon are preparing to evacuate after a fire in Klamath County spread to nearly 700 acres on Monday. The fire occurred in the Fremont Wainema National Forest and residents in the area are still on standby as they wait for updates from the National Weather Service. 
Officials are especially worried about the high temperatures, powerful winds, and thunderstorms occurring across the southern part of Oregon. In 2020, the wildfire season was one of the most destructive in Oregon's history, killing 11 people and destroying more than 1 million acres of land. Authorities are reminding Oregonians to be especially vigilant this summer, as roughly 80% of forest fires are started by human activities. And some good news. Portland legend Esperanza Spalding is creating a sanctuary for artists of color. Spalding came up with the idea of creating a sanctuary after she sought refuge in an Airbnb on an organic farm in Wasco, Oregon. According to her, the experience helped her realize, quote, how important artist retreats were. Shortly thereafter, she decided to build the city sanctuary in St. John's. She plans for it to have a community garden, a reading room for poetry events, and a tea room. Spalding is still in the process of buying land for the site, but remains optimistic. When asked about the sanctuary, she said, quote, I think of it as a space that other artists of color can come into and stay for up to a week or just come for the afternoon. Know that the garden is there and they just come sit and work on something or have a call or take a break from their day. Whatever. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Coming up, X-Ray hosts DJ Ambush and Morgan Jones speak with X-Ray regular Alex Zelensky about promises made last year regarding the Portland police budget, how or if those promises have been fulfilled, and the Portland Street Response Program, which has yet to receive the funding it requires. Just over a year ago, downtown Portland saw the beginning of what would become a summer of protests. Portlanders were, of course, responding to the murder of George Floyd, and much like protesters around the country and the globe, they were calling for change, reform, action, abolishment. Now, a year later, the Portland Mercury's Alex Zelensky is looking at what has actually changed in Portland. She's here to speak with us about what reform or lack thereof has happened in the past 12 months. I've got my first question for you, Alex. Yes. Protesters had many rallying cries, but one of the biggest action points was defunding the police. From your reporting, what kind of progress have you found in this regard? Well, in uh, June of last year, right when the protests kind of were ramping up, um, the city of Portland City Council uh, voted to make some cuts to its budget, uh, annual city budget and specifically to the Portland Police Bureau. And it was kind of a response to uh, demands from the community to cut uh, at least $50 million from the Portland Police Bureau. The city ended up cutting around $15 million, <laughs> not $50, um, and promised that it would uh, continue making cuts later in the year, which it ended up not, not doing. Um, and so th- those were, you know, significant cuts in in the big, you know, bigger kind of picture way. Of course, it wasn't 50 million, but it was right. um, more than, much more than usual. And there were cuts to specific programs, um, the gang violence reduction program, programs that had a record of being uh, biased and discriminatory um, against Portlanders of color, including the gang violence reduction team, um, the school resource officer program, which installs police officers in public mm. schools across Portland and uh, the transit um, Portland uh, officers involvement in the TriMet's kind of transit police force 
um, which disproportionately stops uh, uh, people and, and kind of people of color and, and, and checks um, for tickets. Uh, and so those cuts were made, and, and, and many of them are still in effect. Uh, aside from earlier this year, when uh, Mayor Ted Wheeler essentially reinstated the gang violence reduction team, which right. kind of was the biggest um, the biggest sticking point for a lot of folks in the community because of its uh, known record of disproportionately stopping Black Portlanders and uh, and, and targeting uh, Black Portlanders, and so uh, and and we're back in it's June again, so we're back in kind of budget season, um, and the budget for this year, as proposed, it hasn't been passed yet, but as proposed, still it. it with um, funding towards uh, expanding the police bureau's uh, employees a bit more. Um, it doesn't really follow through on larger cuts to um, and, and a larger investment in alternatives to policing, which would be the Portland Street Response, the, the program that sends um, non-police officers and instead kind of social workers and EMTs out to respond to mental health crises and other kind of uh, social issues that people call in on 911 about. Um, the investments that were promised to that uh, last year haven't been fully funded. And so, I mean, it's, it should be no surprise and, and everyone can tell just by driving around Portland that like Portland's police has not been defunded. <laughs> right. right. out there to do <laughs> right. the job. Um, and it's not um, it's not on the horizon, at least for elected officials. Um, Mayor Ted Wheeler is very uh, very strongly against the idea of abolishing and defunding the police. Uh, he believes that Portlanders really want police, even if they don't necessarily say it. They just <laughs> want a better police force. Uh, so instead of kind of getting rid of and slimming down law enforcement, um, the city has instead kind of uh, introduced new programs that will improve on the the police we already have, at least according to them. L-O-L. Really quickly, I want to talk about the Portland Street Response um, pilot program, but before we move forward, with that 15 million that they i guess divested from the police did they mm-hmm. invest that into black communities around portland do we know where that money went yeah well we know that uh a chunk of it so almost five million went to the portland street response program um a good amount went to uh if i recall um different kind of yeah smaller organizations around portland that um, work directly with Portlanders of Color um, and uh, help with kind of social um, supports and, you know, funds that, that help prevent and kind of upstream some of the issues that police ended up, end up dealing with further down the road, um, whether that's mental health or education programs or, you know, just rent assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I... Yeah, I uh, it, it it certainly wasn't the amount that the community had wanted to see dispersed, sure. um, and so the impact of that 
small amount of funding, uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. not necessarily clear who, how much that has helped. Um, but a big chunk of it was set aside um, uh, for Portland Street Response. Okay, so th- back to Portland Street Response <laughs> and that pilot. Um, the idea of sending trained mental health workers to respond to 911 calls instead of the mm-hmm. police makes my heart sing. Uh, but when you don't fund a program, we know how that goes. Mm-hmm. So how is that pilot going at this point? Yeah, well, it's going. It hasn't had a, a, a ton of time to like really flourish because it was supposed to start last February, um, I believe, or last spring. Uh, and uh, the city, right when the pandemic began, uh, announced a hiring freeze on all employees and everyone in the city. And so that stopped the um, pilot from being able to hire the staff it needed to, to <laughs> ramp up. Wow. Um, and so the, the whole program was put on hold essentially until, uh, until the end of last year. Um, they didn't end up starting, the, the team of four people didn't end up starting responding to calls until February of this year. Um, so, you know, it's been operational for several months, um, mm. but not long enough for some city commissioners to feel like it's, um, they have enough data to prove that it's doing a great job. I mean, uh, this group responds to 911 calls that are specifically sent to them from 911 call center. And so they have uh, there's employees that I mean, everyone at the 911 call center has been uh, trained to to know, you know, when a call should be diverted to this group. And to be specific, this uh, the, the pilot program is only focused in the Lent area um, in Portland. And so, mm-hmm. if anything just falls in that category, whether it's a mental health crisis or a um, you know a homelessness person or a homeless person blocking someone's door which sometimes you know calls in the police or just kind of other like nuisance I guess issues mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. these folks respond uh, you know notably there was a police shooting in the Lentz neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, in April mm-hmm. which was a response to what appeared to be a mental health crisis call of a man who was pretending and joking around with a or allegedly joking around with a gun in uh, kind of doing like fake like you know practice yeah. aiming yeah. but not shooting in in Lens Park uh, but Portland Street response was not called um, because the man had a gun um, and that falls outside their their purview if a person has a weapon police still are kind of the first in the scene um, and I, I believe it was outside of their like operational hours of the pilot oh. program, so they also weren't able to be there to kind of assist. Um, but I think the outcome probably would have been at least a, a bit different if they had, you know, mental health trained kind of de-escalators there instead of just armed officers who ended up killing um, the man in the park. His name was Robert Delgado. Um, so the work that's been done so far is hard to, um, you know, it, it's it hasn't been running long enough to really like zoom out and kind of have a bunch of graphs and show how successful it's been going, which I think is why uh, the mayor and a couple city commissioners 
refused to fully fund uh, the program past its pilot point. So the funding kind of issue is a little tricky to unpack because last year uh, the city council set aside $4.8 million um, specifically for the Portland Street response, and they pulled that uh, chunk of money from the Portland Police Bureau's budget. They said, this is for Portland Street response, um, but it has to be, it's like set aside for Portland Street response, but it still needs to be voted on by city council in the future to be allocated to them, um, which is just like a bureaucratic, you know, mm-hmm. step. Yeah. And so um, that point came this year in the budget when, you know, the city said, okay, we have this amount set aside. How much have they used so far? Um, it was only three point something million. And instead of um, what the Portland Street Restaurant Program requested was, can you give us the rest of that, you know, whatever was set aside for us so we can finish our program, which is expected to go a year. So it's going to end in March 2022. Um, and then be able to ramp up citywide or at least expand to a bigger section after that. Um, so we want kind of more than just the bare minimum of funding. We want everything we can have so we can really prepare and maybe buy more vans and hire more people and really train everyone. Um, and instead of kind of handing over that full amount, uh, the mayor proposed just just uh, giving out one million of that <laughs> pocket of funding, um, which would uh, wow. apparently wow. be enough to finish the pilot program, but not be enough to, you know, kind of ramp things up for for the future. Which, um, and and his logic and, and two of his colleagues agreed. Their logic is, well, hey, we need to see if this has been successful before we can give them we can entrust them with that amount of money to, to keep going. And so we want, you know, in a year, we want to check in and see how the program's going, uh, you know, get some uh, metrics and data and, uh, and see if it's worth investing in still before we can expand it, which, you know, is important to, to understand if a program's working before you put a lot of money into it. But that process is already baked into Portland Street Response like pilot proposal. There are mandatory check-ins and like data analysis and things that are already part of the, the process that don't necessarily hinge on whether or not they have funding or not. So um, that uh, the vote on the budget is going to be in a couple weeks. First vote is next week and the second is the following. Um, and that'll kind of be the chance um, to see whether or not, uh, specifically that the city commissioner who oversees the Portland Street response, uh, Joanne Hardesty, she can kind of convince uh, fellow commissioners to to really um, push back against the mayor's idea that this money has to be kind of held tight until the last minute because I mean, what the mayor said is, hey, okay, come March 2022, everything is looking great. We'll just hand this money over. Um, <laughs> but that's still, you know, th- there, needs, there needs to be some time to kind of uh, prepare for a big transition like that, you know, and there needs to be funding to start preparing for that probably by the end of this year if they're like 
just are going to expand. You can't just kind of um, immediately jump into, you know, hire tons of people and, and buy a new van and new equipment and expand overnight. So uh, what do you mean? You're you... concerned that there's going to be this gap <laughs> between, you know, the end of the pilot and the beginning of a larger program. What do you mean? You don't just buy a Sprinter van and everything works? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, there's people at it. Yeah. Alex, this sounds like sabotage. Am I misreading this? I mean, this sounds like, yeah, we'll give you the money. Psych. LOL. We'll take the money away and then we'll then we'll uh, check the ma- the metrics based on with this your underfunded, underfunded yeah. uh, if yeah. you don't have the money you don't have the staff you can't train the staff you can't have staff you know 24 hours like this sounds like sabotage yeah <laughs> dear Ted you can't drive cross country on one tank of gas okay <laughs> so true. it's it's not gonna work also I'm very un- inter- interested in this model uh, and maybe I just need to do my own research why isn't there or is there a number that exists where the citizens can call them directly instead of 911? Um, no. Mm-hmm. No, because right now the, the model is to be used like 911. Mm-hmm. Um, if people are in crisis, if there is something that people, I mean, the whole idea is to divert, to divert calls that are coming in to the police for issues that the police aren't necessarily needed to, to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and yeah, and the team itself isn't, um, you know, connected to the 911 kind of server. And so right. they're the one being dispatched out, just kind of like a, another, you know, uh, police unit. Yeah. Um, and, and they're kind of on the go all the time. And so I think it's also helpful to have someone helping scheduling those calls at the 911 call center. Give them the money they need so they can be effective. <laughs> Bottom line. <laughs> Alex, <laughs> thank yeah. you. Thank Cannot you. thank you enough. Yeah, seriously. This is, you, yeah, you thank keep you guys. Up. I appreciate it. Thanks to Alex for joining the local. A special thanks to our production team, executive editor Will Romy, Supporting editors and writers John Collier, Nebraska Lucas, Joey McClone, Brian Miller, Carlos Molina, Julia Oppenheimer, Carly Quadros, Miranda Selinger, and writer Sherwood. Thanks for original journalism and research by The Lund Report, Oregon Health Authority, COVID19.health.data.org, Oregon Historical Society, Portland Tribune, Portland Business Journal, KGW, The Willamette Week, Coin, Pamphlet Media, OPB, K2, The Oregonian, Statesman Journal, The Scanner, and news partners Portland Mercury, Street Roots, Bike Portland, and Eater Portland. Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown in just about 30 minutes. Thank you for subscribing and giving us a five-star review, if you feel so moved. And thank you, democracy. We'll talk to you tomorrow.